Uh, morning, everyone. Great to see you, uh, most of you, through the through the windshield. Uh, for those tuning in at home, welcome here. And we have uh, people in person down uh, sitting in chairs. This is great. Um, Obviously, we're still on the roof. Uh, some people are wondering if we're going to stay up here forever. The answer is hopefully not. Uh, in fact, uh, we have um, got a new stage design that the city is happy with. Uh, and so our plan, uh, not this week, but next week, is to put up a new stage down here, uh, which isn't quite as high, but it's a lot more accessible. As you can imagine, we're, we're climbing up on, on ladders to get up here, and with all the gear, it's, it's not ideal. So uh, we're looking forward to that and to continuing to do this. Uh, for as long as it takes, hopefully not that long, but uh, we anticipate at least another couple of months. So please plan on being here. If you're tuning in at home, glad to have you tuning in, but I really hope that as many people as possible uh, take the opportunity to come and to gather in person. That really should be our heart as a church, is to come together uh, for the worship and uh, for the Word. And uh, that's, that's what we're doing here now. So... Um, we're going to be in a new series starting today. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapters 11 and 12. If you've been with us for a little while, uh, you, you might remember that we kind of uh, go back to the gospel of Luke uh, at least once a year, trying to work our way through that gospel. And so we're uh, already a little bit into chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 14. And our sermon series uh, for this, uh, this time around is just called The Word. The Word, because obviously it's the Word of God, uh, but also because through this section, Jesus teaches uh, some very uh, strong, difficult, encouraging, uh, convicting words to the people then and, and to us as well. And so uh, the call throughout this whole uh, section is to hear the Word and to keep it. We're going to see that uh, in our text today. So why don't I pray for us and then we'll jump right into Luke chapter 11. Lord God, thank you for this uh, venue. Thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you that uh, we can gather here in person in spite of all that's going on in our world. And Lord, we pray for that. I pray, Lord, for uh, the pandemic itself. I pray, Lord, for the numbers here in BC. God, we pray they would go down. We pray transmission rates would go down. We pray for all those in ICU, that they would be healed. Uh, we pray, Lord, for vaccines to be deployed even more quickly. Uh, we pray, Lord, just for the, the safety and security of our people. And uh, also, Lord, um, we pray that we'd be able to gather more freely. We pray we'd be able to be in person, in a, in a building, and that uh, we wouldn't have to be up on roofs. But, Lord, whatever it takes, uh, in whatever way you make available to us, Lord, our commitment is to continue to gather, to continue to worship you. So we pray you'd be pleased with that. And I pray uh, for this morning, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word. God, that we would be encouraged, we would be convicted. And, Lord, we would um, better understand who you are. So I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 14, uh, this is a scene of a miraculous healing of Jesus casting out a demon. And just to kind of get us into this, into this scene, kind of set the stage, I'd like to give you a line from a movie, a uh, line from a classic movie, uh, classic by classic, I mean 1984 movie. Uh, the movie is The Terminator. Now probably if you have not seen The Terminator, you at least know about it. Uh, the Terminator, there's like 14 of the movies now, there's a whole bunch of them. Uh, the plot is very, very simple. Just if you're not familiar, I'll just explain it briefly. Um, Terminators are uh, evil human cyborgs from the future that have come back to the present uh, to kill those people which will one day defeat them in the future. 
It's pretty simple, right? So they're, they're coming like a preemptive strike, and usually they're trying to target someone with the last name Connor uh, for reasons that are clear in the movie. Um, the Terminators themselves are unstoppable until the end of the movie when usually someone finds a way to stop them, but in the middle part, everyone's very concerned. And there's always a scene at the beginning of each movie where the Terminator first comes and tries to, you know, kill someone or do something horrible, and then a good guy, a hero, also from the future, comes and stops him. Doesn't defeat him, because it's the beginning of the movie, the movie would be very short, but then, like, throws him out a window or something, and then the hero, the good guy, says to the person who is in danger, this great line, usually they put out their hand, and they say, come with me if you want to live. Oh man, that's a good line. Come with me if you want to live. Uh, in one of the movies, Arnold says it. So he says, come with me if you want to live. That sounds like Dracula. I can't do a good Arnold. But you know what I'm saying. It's very, a lot of, lot of weightiness there. Now, it's a great line because it, it perfectly captures the drama of the moment. This person is in great danger. They're, they're going to die. They're going to be killed. And what he's saying is no matter what the options are before you, there's only one way that you're going to end up alive. And that's with me. That's, that's the, the gravity of the situation. And the reason I, I mention this line is because that really is the message of our text today. That's the tone and the message of Jesus. What he is saying very clearly in our text is, look, we are all in great danger. Great spiritual danger, great peril. And only Jesus can bring us the help that we need. So all of this starts with a man who is in bondage to a demon. Uh, I'm just going to read the first verse. In fact, uh, the first section we're kind of work through a little by little. Uh, Jesus heals someone, the crowd reacts negatively, he's going to push back on them, and then at the end, Jesus is going to kind of teach on what's happened, and that's where we're going to draw out some points, okay? So let's begin by looking at what Jesus does. Verse 14, it says, Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. Uh, if you have a note sheet on the back of your page, you'll see our text. You can work through or have it on your phone, whatever you like. It's good to have the, the Word of God in front of us, though, as we're working through it. Now, this might not seem like a big deal because it happens so quickly. I mean, the man is healed, like, almost immediately. And so we might think, well, this, you know, not that big a deal. But it's good to remember that for the man who was mute, this was a very big deal. I mean, to not be able to speak uh, in the best of times is a challenge. Like, even in our days, a challenge. But think of it back then. In, a, in an ancient oral culture, uh, there's no sign language, there's no uh, written language. Most people are literate. I mean, there's a written language. Most people can't write to communicate. There's no social programs. Uh, this man has, ever since the demon has taken possession of him, has just been, it's been excruciating. Been cut off from everyone he knows, been unable to praise God. And what we need to see first, firstly is that this is yet another picture of what happens when uh, someone is under the thumb of Satan. When the world itself is under the thumb of Satan, which it is for a time, uh, this is the kind of thing that happens. In fact, this is what the devil wants for all of us, to be, to be cut off, to be isolated, to be unable to worship God. But thankfully, what we see here right away is that Jesus steps in. Jesus steps in to bring healing, and it's amazing. It, it says there people marvel, but uh, the next thing we're going to see is that they are fairly negative still towards Jesus, even though he did this amazing thing. So there's two reactions. Both of them are negative. Here's the first one. Verse 15. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. So basically what they're saying there is, look, Jesus, sure, he casts out this demon. That's just because he has the power of Satan. He's working with Satan. Uh, Beelzebul is uh, a name for the devil. 
Uh, literally, the translation is Lord of the Flies. Uh, if you remember that book in high school, that's where that comes from. Uh, so they're saying, yeah, he has power, but it's just because he has power. It's given to him by the devil, which is a pretty horrible thing to say about anyone, but especially about, about Jesus. That's the first reaction. Uh, secondly, verse 16, they say this, others to test him kept asking him or kept seeking a sign from him uh, from heaven. So these guys are not really antagonistic. They're more skeptical. What they're basically saying to Jesus is, look, that, that was pretty great, but we need some more. Can you show some more signs? Can you do something more amazing? The implication is, Jesus, if you were to, if you were to do some more amazing things, then we would, we would believe in you. But I think we know that's not, that's not really true. I mean, anyone who's asking for more and more evidence after very clear evidence has been given, that they, they aren't really going to believe. I mean, what we're really seeing here in both of these reactions is a hardness of heart. Like a real hardness, even though something amazing's happening, even though they should be praising God, they're questioning. They're doubtful. Well, Jesus knows all that's going on in their hearts and their minds. And so he pushes back. He kind of gives a really clear rebuttal to their criticisms and then uh, really kind of puts them in their place. So here's what Jesus, how he responds. Verse 17 and 18. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? So what Jesus is saying is, is look, what you guys are saying does not make any sense. I mean, if I was working with Satan, why would I be doing something that would undermine what Satan has already done? I mean, he had claimed this man's life. He had won this territory. Why would he give it up? Everyone knows that a kingdom or a household divided against itself is not going to win. It's not going to stand. So he's saying, what well, you're saying, just, it does not make any sense. It's illogical. But he goes, he goes further. Verse 18, he says this, For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. So the issue there is he's pointing to is consistency. He's saying, look, there are other, other faithful Jewish uh, people who are casting out demons. That, that, that was true. They believe in Yahweh by the power of God. They're freeing people from demons. What Jesus is saying is, does that mean all of them are partners with Satan? Like, does that, does that make sense? Is that what you're saying? He's saying, no, it's foolishness. Your criticism is foolish. In fact, the criticism itself judges you. Because obviously not everyone who's doing this good work is in league with Satan. And then... And then he goes on to reveal or, or to highlight the power by which he's actually doing this. I mean, that's really their question, right? How is he doing this? So look at verse 20. But, but says Jesus, if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now he's asking that like a question, but it's not, it's not actually a question. I mean, he's, he's very clearly saying, look, it's the opposite of what you think. You think that this is because Satan is somehow still at work? No, this is the power of God that is at work. And that term he uses, uh, the, the finger of God, that would have been, they would have recognized that immediately uh, because it comes from the book of Exodus. Uh, it's when uh, the plagues are happening. Remember God sent all these plagues to bring Pharaoh to his knees to show him clearly, you are not God, I am God. And Pharaoh, to try to push back, uh, he says to his magicians, he says, do the same thing. He wants them to replicate all of the, the plagues, all these supernatural things that happen. And the magicians, they do, a f they do a few tricks. But eventually, they come to Pharaoh and they basically say, look, we, we can't do this. 
I mean, we're just men. They, they use this phrase, they say, it is the finger of God that is at work. These plagues, these frogs, these gnats, this darkness, that's it's God at work. We can't, we can't do that. That's a supernatural power of God Almighty. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that that is the power that is at work. And so you shouldn't just marvel at what I did and then start to criticize me. You should be praising God. You should be recognizing the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, very easily, I mean, things could end there and um, it would be a full day's work for Jesus, right? I mean, he, he's done a miracle. People have doubted and criticized him. He's rebuked them. He's proclaimed the kingdom of God. I mean, that's why he came. He's done everything to, to fulfill his mission. Uh, very often at this point in the Bible, we kind of move on to the next thing. But in this case, Jesus, he takes the opportunity to teach. And he teaches some specific things about spiritual realities that they can't really see, but that actually point them to their need for him. And these spiritual realities are true for our day as well. So Jesus is going gonna, is gonna to talk to them more about the peril, the danger that they, in, that they are in and how much they need him. So here we're going to, um, I'm going to give you two points, two sort of teaching points. And uh, the, the first one is this. Demonic threats are real. Demonic threats are real. Now you might say, um, that's kind of obvious, since, you know, there's a guy who was oppressed by a demon and, and Jesus healed him. Um, but Jesus is going to teach with a little more nuance. He's going to explain uh, not just the overt oppression that, that Satan and his demons can have uh, effects on us, but also some of the ways that, well, that, that all of us could be oppressed and the nature of our need for someone stronger. So he's going to teach in two mini parables, two little stories. So here's the first one, and it goes like this. Verse 21. Jesus says, When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides the spoil. So parables always kind of have two layers, right? There's like the earthly layer that we can see on the surface and then there's the deeper spiritual level. Uh, so on the surface here, there's this strong man, wealthy man who has a palace and he's defending the things that he owns. But really the strong man uh, is, um, is a stand-in for the devil. And the palace is a stand-in for our world. Because as we said, that this is, this is a, a, a time period where God has allowed Satan to have some dominion over the world. And the goods that Satan, the strong man, is kind of keeping for himself, those goods are human souls who are in bondage. And so you might ask, why, why is that valuable for Satan? Why does he care? Why does he want to keep us in, in chains in a sense? And the answer is because Satan's goals are always to oppose the plans of God and to hinder the glory of God. That's what he wants. He basically wants to mess with everything that God is doing. And one of the best ways to do that is to keep human beings in bondage to sin, captive to demonic influence, unable to praise God with our lives. That, that effectively hinders the glory, the good that God wants to do. I mean, that was the case uh, with the man who was mute. We saw Satan doing what he loves, what he wants to do. He wanted to keep him captive, keep him isolated, uh, have him be unable to, to really praise the Lord and live in the freedom that God brings. And that often, especially in the biblical times, is how Satan works. We see that 
in other instances in the Bible where demonic influence means that people um, are, are hurting themselves, there's epileptic fits, there's people who've lost their mind. I mean, it's manifesting itself in very overt ways, very obvious ways. But that's not always how Satan works. Uh, in our day, in our area of the world, uh, Satan tends to work in much more subtle ways. And by subtle, I don't mean less dangerous. What I mean is less obvious. So there's other parts in the New Testament where it talks about uh, ways that we give Satan uh, a foothold in our lives or, or an opportunity to take root in our lives, to, to, to shackle us in a sense in bondage. And the things that um, the Bible talks about, this is Ephesians 4, for example. Some, some examples that it gives are not like overt spiritual things. It's not like the occult. It's not Ouija boards. It's not seances. I mean, all of those are, are, are harmful. We shouldn't engage in those. But the things the Bible points to are much more everyday. Things like anger. Things like bitterness. Things like corrupting talk coming out of our mouths and pride and, and selfishness. The Bible points very clearly to those kinds of things. And it says when we do those things, we are driving ourselves or allowing ourselves to be led into further and further bondage. We are allowing the enemy to have greater and greater influence on our lives. We are being separated from the grace and the love of God. And apart from the forgiveness of Jesus, all of those things will end up damning us to hell. That is the extent of the threat. That is the peril that we are in. So demonic threats are very, very real. They were real back then. They're real to this day. And the truth is that apart from the work of God, all of us are in great danger. That on our own, we cannot resist ultimately the effects of our sin, the effects of, of the enemy in our lives. But the good news that we see over and over again in the New Testament, we see here in this mini parable, that there is hope for us, not in us, but in God. So uh, verse 22 says, there is a stronger man. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted. He divides his spoil. And verse 23, Jesus says, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Now that last part makes very, very clear that Jesus is the strong man. He's saying, I am the one who's going to come and wage war and, and going to free you. I'm the one who's stronger than the enemy. Just like he liberated the man who was mute, his intention is to liberate all humanity, all who would have faith in him from any kind of demonic oppression. And that's exactly what he does. On the cross of Jesus, he disarms Satan. He removes the weapons that Satan has against us. Look at um, Colossians 2.15. This is also on your sheet. It says this, He, that is God, God disarmed the rulers and authorities, that's Satan and his demons, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, in Jesus. So what it's saying there is that Jesus alone has the strength to free us from Satan's grasp because of what he did on the cross. On the cross, Jesus removed the one weapon that Satan has against us, which is sin. Unforgiven, unconfessed sin, that is the thing which tethers us to despair and darkness that is the thing that, that Satan grabs hold of and gets rooted in our heart and prevents us from truly ever being free. And yet Jesus on the cross, he died for all of our sins. And so because of that, when we have faith in him, we are freed. We have an avenue open to us where we can actually experience life and freedom, all that God wants for us. So the only true answer to the spiritual threats in our lives is freedom in Christ. And I'm going to say it this way for our second point. First point, uh, demonic threats are real. 
But secondly, spiritual renewal is our only hope. Spiritual renewal. Now I say it that way. I mean, I could have said Jesus is our only hope or Christ is our only hope. But I say spiritual renewal because in the second mini parable that Jesus is going to teach about, he, uh, he makes a very clear contrast between uh, external kind of superficial reform in our lives, like trying to make our lives better, and the difference between that and a renewal that comes from the inside out by the power of God. And it's that second one where we actually have hope. So let's look at Jesus' second parable where he makes kind of this contrast. Uh, Really what he does is he tells this parable uh, about an unsuccessful attempt to get free from demonic influence. And uh, he uses the metaphor of a house. Okay, so here, here it is. Verse 24. He says, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of the person is worse than the first. So what's he saying here? Well, again, there's two levels of meaning. On the one level, we're talking about a home, a house, but really that signifies a person. And the idea is, like, if you did have a house and you were a homeowner and there was, like, a squatter or someone had, you know, broken in and was living there, kind of making a mess of the place, at some point, hopefully, you would manage to get them out or they would just leave. And probably, if you were a homeowner, you would come and then you would want to make things, you know, fix things up. You would want to repaint, fix the carpet, you know, everything is broken, be repaired, get the house looking new. The problem then, though, is if you were to leave, the, the squatter... The wicked person who was there before might come back and would take a look and say, boy, everything's looking great. I'm going to go find some of my buddies. Some guys who really know how to party. They're going to come and they're going to have a house party. It's just going to destroy your house. The point that he's pointing to is the crucial mistake of the homeowner. So what was the mistake? Well, the mistake was leaving the home vacant. Leaving it open to whoever would come, break down the door, and then have their way in the home. He's saying, unless there is someone who can take possession of the home, who can protect it from any kind of attack, then then you're always going to be in trouble. And he's saying that's the same thing for us spiritually. That there are many times when human beings, we try to just make things better in our lives. Maybe we've gone through a difficult time, time of darkness, time of despair, whatever it may be, and yet then there's there's a time of, of awakening. Epiphany. Uh, We make some good changes. We start going to the gym when we could go to the gym. We we start working out. You know, we do we do healthy, practical things that make us feel better. We maybe start reading our Bible. Maybe we take an interest in spiritual things for the first time, or we come back to church. There's lots of lots of changes that we make in our lives, and in a sense, we're tidying up our house and things are looking good. You would think that that would be a good thing. Anyone coming to that home that's been kind of renovated and repaired, you think, man, everything's going great for that homeowner. But if there's not an essential difference in our lives, an internal, spiritual renewal that happens from the inside out, then we are still in peril. Because if we are simply making changes by our own strength, if we're simply adopting new habits of life, new strategies, new life hacks to kind of to kind of improve things, that will never ultimately protect us from the enemy of our souls. At some point, he's going to come back. 
And he's going to tempt us with the very same things that led us into sin in the first place. And we are going to go down the same road. And what the Bible is saying is very often it's worse. We're worse off than we were at the beginning. The deciding difference is whether in fact we actually belong to someone different. Whether we have been renewed. Whether we've come to faith. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying you can't just do some external changes and hope for the best. You need to lay down your life for Jesus. You need to be possessed by someone new. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians about what it means to be a Christian. Listen to this language. Uh, This is 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now that newness, hear me, it involves repentance, It involves turning from sin, confession of sin, acknowledging Jesus, I need you. All of that is absolutely true. But listen, all of that doesn't make us new. All of that is the result of something new that God has done in us. That the spiritual renewal comes by the power of the Spirit of God. It awakens a faith in us for us to to see our own sin for what it actually is, to see the peril that we're in, and to see that Jesus is in fact our only hope. When we're at that place, at that, in that frame of mind, we, we genuinely submit to Christ. We take our hands off the wheel or off the reins, whatever metaphor you want, and we say, Jesus, I, I see clearly I need you to be Lord of my life. I see that you died for my sins. I see that you rose again. I want that kind of life, a new life as a new creation. And listen to, listen to the language. Here's more language about uh, what it means for us to be in Christ. This is 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, um, verse 9. Uh, he says this, But you, you Christian, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. See that language of possession. What it's saying here is that the good news of the gospel It's not just that we are saved from our sin, not just that we have heaven to look forward to instead of hell. The good news is that we are no longer our own. We are no longer the goods of the devil, that we belong completely to God in Christ. That now when the devil comes knocking, the God of the universe is dwelling within us. It's his power his strength, that there, that that fights on our behalf and guards us, keeps us, keeps us in Christ, keeps us in the Lord. It's not just our strength. It's not just our resolve. It's not just us white knuckling it, trying to to keep ourselves from sin and keep ourselves on the right path. That'll, That'll never work. What we need is to be owned by the one who is stronger, the one who is gracious, the one who loves us. So really this, This time of teaching for Jesus, I mean, it really is prompting us, I think it should be, to ask the question, who is it that resides in us? Are we just just a vacant dwelling? You know, we've cleaned things up. We've tried to get rid of all the, the bad stuff in our life as much as we can. But we're just waiting for the next temptation to flood our lives with sin again. Or have we been occupied by the Spirit of God? Have we opened up the doors of our heart and said, Jesus, apart from you, I have no hope. Because when we are dwelled, indwelled by the Spirit of God, then the stronger man is within us. Then we have every hope in every situation to know that we can resist the threats that are out there. Now, 
this whole scene ends with an interesting little epilogue. Jesus has taught this. You can imagine everyone kind of stunned, maybe shocked, maybe a silence. People are hearing him say these parables and trying to wrap their minds about what it means. And then uh, a woman, she, she responds. And she, re- she responds in a, in a positive way. But listen to how this goes. Here's verse 27. And he said these things, and a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. And he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So you notice here, this is the same kind of thing that happens today. By that I mean people sometimes hear uh, the word of God preached or read the Bible and they'll appreciate it. This woman was appreciating Jesus. I mean, much better than the first group who were criticizing him. She was saying, Thank, this is so wonderful. Bless your mother who bore you and raised you because now you're here teaching us. It's such a blessing to have you here, rabbi or teacher. He doesn't rebuke her, but he corrects her. He says, he says yeah, that's good. But listen, it's more blessed to actually hear the word of God and keep it. What's he saying there? He's saying, look, he's saying, just appreciating me is not enough. Just hearing my my words is not enough. What we really need to do is put our lives in his hands. We need to keep the words in the sense of responding. We can't just add the teachings of Jesus onto the other things we're doing. You know, the other moral improvements to our life. That's, That's not the way it works. He's saying, if you really hear what I'm saying, then you will respond through confession, through submission, through grabbing hold of me and recognizing that that I'm your only hope. It's very clear in this passage. What Jesus is saying is it's him or it's nothing. That's what he said in verse 23. Remember verse 23? He says, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. He's saying what all good heroes say. He's saying, come with me if you want to live. Come with me if you want to have life, if you want to be blessed, if you want to have true security. I'm the only one who can free you from the bondage that you're in and can give you the confidence to know that in the future, you will not ever have to worry about the threats from the enemy of your soul, from the sin within you. I'm the only way to life. And hopefully it's clear that you can see here, this all is a gift of God. And yet Jesus is still saying we need to choose. It's this mysterious dynamic between the sovereignty of God and our salvation and yet also our choice. He's saying very clearly, look, we need to choose him. We need to abandon the idea that we can save ourselves. We need to recognize that our only hope is in following him, submitting our lives to him fully. That's God's word to us this day. For those of us who are not yet people of faith, my hope, my hope is that you see the truth of these words and that you do submit, that you do in prayer confess your sin and say, Jesus, I need you. But for those of us who've already come to faith, And I hope we see that if there are trials, difficulties, temptations in our lives, we cannot take our eye off of Christ. That he is the way to hope and salvation and security. And that as we follow him, man, there's goodness that floods into our life and great glory for God, the exact opposite of what the enemy wants. So let me pray for us. Let me pray that we can apply these truths this week and then we'll respond in worship. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your, your strong teaching here, Lord. Uh, peeling back really the, the realities of the world around us, making clear to us where there are spiritual threats that exist even to this day. 
Lord God, I pray for anyone who is struggling in this way, struggling with temptation to sin, struggling with, with even overt demonic attack. Lord, I pray that we would see that it's in you that there is hope, in you that there is salvation, in you, Lord, that there is an answer to all the threats around us. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would not try to just adopt some of the, the moral teachings you've given us, try to just add you on to the way that we're gonna live. I pray instead, Lord, that we would lay everything down and that we would put all of our hope in you. Please, Lord, do a good work in us. Open our eyes to see our sin. Open our eyes to see you clearly. God, may we rejoice in you and give you great glory. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.